And our section in God's Word is James chapter 1, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 18. James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after sin has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Oh, excuse me. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nathan. I'm the assistant minister here. It's really good to see you all today. Good to see if you're joining online. Um, and I think Christchurch Crouch End might be watching this next week as well as Adam gets better. So good to see you guys as well if you're watching this. Well, we've probably all watched um, a little bit more TV in lockdown than uh, maybe we thought we would. And got through a few box sets. Maybe Charlotte and I at the moment have been watching something called The Good Fight. I don't know if any of you have watched that. I, I wouldn't particularly recommend it. It's not great. But you know sometimes when you've watched enough of something that you're, you just want to know what happens. And that's very much the case with this, The Good Fight. One of the main characters in it is a lady called Diane Lockhart. There she is, Diane Lockhart. And she's, well, frighteningly competent as a lawyer. She's upright as a citizen, professional at her job. Yet there's another side of her as well. There's another side of her. She starts to get involved as the series goes on in, un, in an underground resistance group whose sort of sole aim is to take down the US government. 
Um, it's a slightly unusual thing for, for her to get involved in that. She starts off just observing from the outskirts and, and then gets more and more involved in this group and really is at the heart of it. She starts as a quiet observer, but then gets very involved. So on the one hand, she's a lawyer in court, upright citizen. On the other, she's involved in this illegal um, coup to sort of bring down the government in the US. And it's ruining her. It's tearing her apart. So if you watch the series, the more it goes on, you see that this double life that she's living affects her, her marriage, um, her friendships, her work, as you can imagine. She's one minute in court, the next she's sneaking out to go to these underground meetings. And it's awful. It's completely ruining her and those around her. I might let you know how it turns out if we carry on watching it for a few weeks' time. I'll tell you what happens to her in the end, unless you don't want the spoilers. But the book of James that we're coming to and starting this new series in today warns of something not that dissimilar. It warns of a double allegiance, or the word that James has coined in this book and used for the first time is a double-mindedness. Between the values of, on the one hand, the Christian faith, on the other, the values of the world. You see that all throughout the book. We see it time and time again. And James's readers need to be warned because they can't compromise their faith with the standards of the world, the behavior and values of the world. James is saying to, to have those things at the same time, it's a spiritual impossibility. You can't do it. As James's older brother, Jesus put it, no one can serve two masters. Can't be divided in your loyalties, wavering, half-hearted. You can't be a Diane Lockhart kind of Christian. And James will call us again and again to wholehearted Christian contentment and, and consistent living, single-mindedness in our faith and in our living, to have eyes only for the Lord. I told you that the book of James is challenging as we look at it together. It, it hits the everyday of our lives. So there's five chapters in this book, 54 commands, okay, in five chapters. Get ready. These are going to be coming over the next few weeks. It's a do that, do this, not that kind of book as we go through it. That if we listen to it and obey it, well, well it's going to have radical effects on our life. It's going to impact us and dynamically affect the day-to-day -day of our lives, our speech, our mind, our thoughts, our attitudes. Are you up for it? Are you up for it as we look at this book together? It's going to be a good time, but not without challenges as we go through. Let me pray, because we need God's help as we study this book together. Father God, whether we've um, never read the book of James before, whether we're familiar with it, and some of the commands and some of the words of it, I pray that wherever we're coming to this book from, that we'd be willing to change. Lord, none of us would claim, I'm sure, to have it all together and to live that kind of single-minded life that you desire for us. So, so we need your help. We need your wisdom, Lord, as we look at this book together. I pray that you're, even today, as we start this series, give us ears that would be good at listening to your word and receptive. Give me um, words to say, Lord, as I speak, that would really fit in well with this book of James and impact us as we listen to it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two things then from this first section of James. First of all, consider it joy when you face trials. 
I don't know the last time any of you wrote a letter to someone. It's a bit of a dying art, isn't it? But if you write a letter to someone, there's a bit of, you fill it out, don't you? You start, you start writing a little bit too small and you're like, oh, I've got lots of page to, no, maybe that's just me. But you, you, you sort of fill it out, pad it out at the beginning. You know, here's what's been going on, a bit of COVID, the weather's not been very nice recently. And then you get to the main body of your letter. James doesn't really mess around with that. Did you see it? Verse one, greetings. One word, doesn't mess around. Greetings, full stop. And then we're straight into the body of the letter. Have a look down at verse two as he starts off. Verse two, consider it something to bear, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of money. No, he doesn't say that. Have a look down again. Verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Gets going straight away, doesn't he? And I think this command, it feels both realistic and unrealistic at the same time. It feels realistic because, well, we do face trials, don't we? Many kinds of trials, literally multicolored trials. That's, that's realistic, isn't it, to our lives? The health scare, the visa complication, the child who doesn't sleep at night and you're ruined with tiredness. Homeschooling during lockdown. The co-worker who turns out to be a bully with and you work together on all the projects together. The bereavement that you faced. This is realistic, isn't it? Everyday life. Many kinds of trials. Yet it also feels unrealistic. Consider it, think about it that is, with pure joy. Really? Told you James would be challenging right from the off. Pure joy, we, we naturally recoil about that. We, we think, no, that, that doesn't make sense. Is James sort of on cloud cuckoo land over here, not really in our real lives? Well, if you've been around at Trinity and Bible study groups for any amount of time, you'll know that we talk a lot about context and the importance of context. We don't just say that for, a, you know, just because that's something that we should say and that feels good. No, context helps make sense of these kind of commands. So let me read the context of verses three and four. So consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What he's saying then is that trials, testing, that is the arena that determines the genuineness of our faith. Think of it like this. Um, a few years ago when I was um, studying, I did a concert, played in a concert and got paid in cash at the end. It was always quite exciting as a student. And, and, and even better than that, this particular concert was paid in 50 pound notes. Don't get carried away. It was only two or three 50 pound notes. That was the, the fee that I was paid. But, but to have this 50 pound, I don't know if I had ever felt it and held a 50 pound note before. And being a slightly sort of naive, you could say arrogant, perhaps 18 year old or whatever it was, I thought that I would pay for a coffee or for a, for a drink with this 50 pound note, as you saw the person there sort of rolling their eyes, and also doubting that it was genuine. So they looked at it and they, you know, they sort of hold it to the light and then the UV thing. Well, okay, it is genuine and here's 47 pounds 60 change, you know, and you probably deserve to get it back in 20p, didn't I, if I pay with that. <laughs> but that's what's going on here, James says. Look, as your faith is tested and examined, Will it hold up? Is it real? Is it genuine? 
We see the logic, hopefully it'll come up on the screen here, the logic of these verses. First of all then, tests and trials, they lead to perseverance, that from that leads to maturity, a kind of completion and a wholeness. How do we get spiritually mature then? How do we grow as Christians? James says through trials. But rather than just seeing them as painful with zero purpose, James says, no, that they're actually instrumental in giving us a, a kind of toughness, a durability that will get us to the end, that will make us mature. Because we hear this, we need to be careful. James doesn't mean that we go and seek out hardships. Kind of, where are they? Come on, bring on the hardship. No, he's not saying that. He's not saying that we always understand the purpose of hardships as well. And he's not saying that we go into these with a sort of cheesy plastic grin. Oh, hardships, trials, brilliant. You know, someone at Trinity loses a job and we slap them on the back and say, oh, consider it your. No, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that. Trials are not enjoyable, and many here can testify to that. Yet we can consider them joy because of the purpose of what they are achieving. The precious outcome of perfect, mature believers. God in his goodness is, is even using illness, childlessness, unfair criticism to bring about maturity. And so this seemingly impossible command is actually designed to encourage us because trials work for, not against, the believer. We might be thinking, well, this just feels a bit sort of philosophical, a bit, a bit kind of out there, not really connected to our real lives. Well, let me share the story of a, a friend of mine called Matt. Um, John knows Matt. Uh, some, some others maybe know Matt as well. He, he was a friend of mine from a previous church that we were at. And he was a healthy guy, athletic, fit guy, mid-30s, um, the half marathon kind of person, you know, who would actually enjoy doing that kind of thing. And first onto the football pitch. Anyway, he was away on holiday with a few friends of his. They climbed a mountain, as, as you do on holiday. I, I don't do that, but people maybe do that on holiday. Enjoyed that. And, and in the car on the motorway on the way back, he lost, he lost all feeling from his waist down. Rushed to hospital, of course. And he was in hospital for months. His life was touch and go um, for a stage of that. And the doctor said to him that you're probably gonna be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. You might walk, but it's only gonna be on crutches, you know, here to the doors. It's not gonna be anything better than that, I'm afraid. That was 10 years ago. Matt wrote a blog the other day, and it, it should come up on the screen what he said. Reflecting on this, he said this. One of the hardest thoughts in suffering is that it might be random and with no purpose at all. The thought that God might be doing something in it and through it is a help. That doesn't mean that we can always see what he is doing, but it does stop it being useless, purposeless. That's Matt's experience on the ground, if you like, from James. So you might hear this command and say, okay, through gritted teeth, I can see God maybe is doing something, but pure joy, really? Pure joy? Because we naturally, if we suffer, if you're like me, we, we cry, why me? Why is this happening in my life? When's this going to end? But I wonder if you've ever done what verse 5 tells you to do. 
Have a look down at verse 5 when you're facing trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God's, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, not one of us has the natural ability to consider these things as pure joy. We need God's help. We need his wisdom. When the co-worker rubs us up the wrong way, when the diagnosis comes back and it's negative, when the uni experience away from home is absolutely ruined by COVID, through those trials, James says, you have a God who is generous, who in his goodness showers you with wisdom, liberally, he gives it to you. What do we need to do? Well, the only condition is faith. We need to ask with faith. It's worth saying that this wisdom isn't just a sort of intellectual wisdom. No, it's a practical, living out kind of wisdom. And this wisdom is available to you. He says there's a negative way of asking as well. The kind of person who doubts God's goodness is, is like a dinghy tossed around in, in a storm is a double-minded person, verse eight, a Diane Lockhart kind of person who's divided between these two worlds, doubting God. Look, of course, we all doubt. We all waver in our faith at times. But this is someone who is, who is entrenched in their two-mindedness, their double-mindedness, doubting God's goodness and his generosity. See, when we face trials, we can know this purpose. We can ask God for wisdom, help, is at hand from God in these times. So will you ask? Will we do that? It's so easy, isn't it, to do almost everything before we ask God for wisdom. We think, I'll rely on other things instead, the, the buffer of the bank balance, that, that will kind of give me comfort through this. Or the glass or maybe the bottle of wine, I'll turn to that because that will help me out in this or the comfort eating, or thinking, oh, at least when COVID's over, I'll put my hope in that when the vaccines are all up. No, God says, ask me. Ask me for wisdom. And so this first section closes in verse 9 to 11, where there's a worked example of believers who are facing suffering and trials. It's probably James's scattered readers in verse 1 that we're told about, who were probably poor, lowly status, little significance, and James flips things on the head for them. He says, yes, you're materially poor. You don't have much. But spiritually, you're millionaires. You're rich. You have everything. And on the flip side of that, the rich now who don't know Jesus Christ, well, they're spiritually poor. One day, everything that they have, well, they will fade away and so will their stuff. As the, the old phrase or old saying goes, the person with the most toys still dies. And so James wants to encourage us with this eternal perspective. Yes, you'll face many trials as you go along. That, that will happen. But the Christian who perseveres, verse 12, he says, receives the crown of life. That is the Olympic laurel wreath image that's used in the Bible. God in his goodness will keep you going. He'll take you to maturity and completion. And look, I'm aware from the time at the moment, people at Trinity are, are going through just from some of the conversations and some of the things I've seen over the last few months that the people at Trinity are in the midst of many multicolored trials. 
people who have lost family members in the last few months. People who are struggling with depression at the moment. People struggling with loneliness. People hating the fact that Monday morning is coming tomorrow morning because work is just, it's just one constant long trial and test. The trial and struggle of, of dating someone over Zoom as you're trying to get to know them in a relationship and it's so far away, what's going on? The trials of lockdown more generally just getting to you. And it's natural, isn't it, when we face those things to think something's wrong. There's no purpose in this. Where's God? He's absent. No, James says there is purpose. We can have joy in what God is doing through these things. And look, I'd love to tell you that these things could be achieved through a podcast or, or books or a sermon series on the book of James, but, but no, they're through the trials that these things are achieved. Aware that there will be others here who, who perhaps aren't facing trials at the moment and life's going pretty swimmingly for you. Maybe you've never really suffered in this life. Things are going pretty well in your life. Well, James, did you notice, doesn't say if you face trials, he says when. You need to have the right perspective now to face what's coming. Positively then, the first thing, consider it joy when you face trials. More negatively, the second point that we'll have today is this. Don't be deceived when you face temptation. Don't be deceived when you face temptations. I'll explain the picture behind it in a bit as well. Uh, the theme of trials then continues in this section, specifically with this word tempt or tempting. We get five times that word is used in these next few verses. And James wants to say loudly and clearly in this section, that Jesus, or God, is not the source of our temptations. He is not the one to blame when we're tempted. Have a look at verse 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. To see God as the source of temptation is a huge error. James doesn't even mention Satan here. We, we might think he would come up, the devil here. No, not even that. No, it's, it's us. It's within. We are the source of temptation. And did you spot the sort of step-by-step -step guide of, of how temptation works? Verse 14 and 15. First of all, it's evil desire. And then it's sin. And then it's death. That's the order. It always has been and always will be. First of all, there's the evil desire that gives birth to sin, that gives birth to death. I was um, walking the other day. You know the canal just got down by King's Cross? Beautiful on a day like today. And I was walking there a few days ago, and, um, and there were two boys, probably 10, 11, or 12, that kind of age, two boys fishing. It's quite an unusual sight, isn't it, in London? And... I can't even see the bottom of that canal. I mean, if there's anything in there, apart from old scooters and shopping trolleys, I'd be very surprised. But these two boys, very enthusiastic with their fishing rods out, talking through a good game of, of the carp that they were gonna catch and all of this kind of thing. And the, the image, that the kind of thing that, that James uses here is of fishing. He describes temptation in that way. 
that there's that tasty maggot or whatever it is on the end of the fishing hook and, and the naive fish, carp maybe, I don't really know my fish, but the carp is swimming along and oh, a maggot, fantastic. And there they are on the hook, they're gone, just like that one on the screen. And that graphic picture is the same as temptation. Oh, what's that over there? Oh, juicy temptation and hook, sin, death. It's no different. And actually, that's never been any different, has it? Adam and Eve, does that ring a bell in the Garden of Eden? Oh, going along my day, what's happening? Oh, uh, juicy temptation over here, evil desire, sin, death. It's the same thing as it always has been. And just like Adam and Eve blamed God, others, circumstances, we do the same. And James says, verse 16, don't be deceived. That's the command. Don't be deceived. God is not a tempter out to get you. Don't blame him. In fact, every good and perfect gift is from him, including your new birth, verse 18. And so like with trials, all of us will face temptation. It's a fact. We'll face temptation from within. So don't be deceived. It was a problem with Adam and Eve, problem with James's readers. So we'd be pretty arrogant to presume that wouldn't be a problem with us as well, right? So easy, isn't it, to blame God, to blame our circumstances, our, our tiredness, our upbringing, lockdown restrictions, and to blame temptation and sin on those things. But but James says we are to blame. We need to own that. Do you own that today? And actually, at this time, it, it gives us a chance to reflect, doesn't it, on the what the temptations might be that are overcoming us right now in lockdown. What are those things for you in your life? What are you giving into at the moment when it comes to temptation and sin? So anger. Obvious kind of lashing out anger or, or on the inside anger at our flatmates, spouse, children. Oh, it's not my fault. We say we're kind of living on top of each other at the moment. And if only the, the kids were back at school or if I was back in the office, I wouldn't be sinning in this way. Really? What about lust? Temptation just two or three clicks away on the computer. Or, or going a bit too far, or, or way too far with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And we say, well, we're missing that physical intimacy of lockdown, so, so that's kind of why I've done it. It wouldn't happen at any other time. Or is it bitterness? I'm missing out on career opportunities at the moment. I'm. Well, I'm missing out on travel opportunities at the moment, relationships at the moment. And, well, God's not come through for me. It's, it's kind of on him if I fall into sin and temptation. No, it's not. It's not on him. Look, each one of us has a particular set of battles, myself included. And these things can pull us away from God. Why not take a, just a, a moment now, just a few seconds, to think through, what are the temptations for you right at the moment? What, what are you giving into? Where is that swimming along and seeing the, the, the juicy bait and, and biting at the hook? Where is that in your life at the moment? 
there anyone you're talking to about that? Trusted friends. Oh, it seems so tiny, doesn't it? That little maggot that, that the fish gets onto. Those things, they just seem so tiny, but yet the hook comes. Sin leads to death. It's not God, though, that tempts us. He's not to blame. Actually, he's for us. 1 Corinthians would put it like this. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's for us. He helps us. So as we draw to a close, two things. Consider it joy when you face trials. Don't be deceived when you face temptations. And perhaps you here online or here in the building, you, you hear those things and you think, oh, James, you've got going pretty quickly. I don't know if I can keep up. I feel overwhelmed by this. Or I feel intimidated by these commands, by this way of living in this single-minded way. Well, help is at hand. Eternal perspective that we've heard about, what God is doing through our trials. Wisdom available for us if we just ask. Help in the battle of temptation. And crucially, these difficult commands that, well, they come from one who has felt the full force of the heat of fiery trials, the juicy temptations on offer, and that is Jesus Christ. See, James's older brother was a man who we're told in the Bible was despised and rejected. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. One who experienced testing and, and temptations in ways that we will never understand. Yet he was proved genuine through them. And actually we're told that he, for the joy set out before him, endured suffering, even death on a cross, for your sake. It's Hebrews 4, that we'll be studying in small groups in a few weeks, puts it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been, what's that word? Tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. He did not take the bait. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that wonderful? Not that Jesus has lived that perfect life, but he's, he's helping us as we face this kind of trials and temptations. I got in touch with a friend of mine this week, a guy called Paul, who I've known for a few years. And Paul, um, similar stage of life to me, and um, he's a Christian guy. And so a few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, his wife uh, had, had a miscarriage of her child about 20 weeks into their pregnancy. That's about halfway through. That happened. And then a year later, it happened again with twins. Just... Horrific for that to happen once, for it to happen twice. Well, they didn't know what to do, of course, through that time. And so a few years ago, and I, I got in touch with him. I emailed him this week and said, look, how, looking back on those things in your life, they, they've got two daughters now, I should say, as well. Doesn't make it easier. That, that's the case with, with their lives. And I got in touch with him and I said, when you look back on what happened, how, how, do, you, how do you hold that up next to James 1, what we've looked at this afternoon? How does that work? What does that look like for you? And let me just finish with these words that he shared in an email. 
He said, everyone has to figure out what they're going to do with suffering in the end. You can say suffering is nothing in a way that Buddhism might. You can numb yourself in various ways, in the ways that most Western cultures do. Or you can find something redemptive. Christianity is not based on wishful thinking. Something we will gen some some sorry, let me say that again. Christianity is not based on wishful thinking. Somehow we will genuinely one day look back on it all, and I mean all, and we'll laugh and sing. And in that sense, we can know something of the pure joy now. The times I've suffered most, I've always thought, imagine facing this without Christ. How senseless, how hopeless. I'll leave a few moments, pause, and then I'll lead us in a quick prayer. Father, these words don't feel very natural to us, we have to admit. Um, we don't like trials, we don't like temptations. Yet you say into those things you give us wisdom, you work through these things for our perseverance and maturity, and that you're with us and you help us in those times of temptations. And we are so grateful for that, Lord. May we grasp hold and grip onto these promises in James 1 this week and for the rest of our days, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.